0: our consideration for the day, the difference between law and grace. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far grander news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. We're not talking about Red Bull here, we're talking about the gospel. Uh, And as you look at the word of God, uh, when you think of things and laws There are things that are telling you what to do. Uh, As we look at scripture and we look at the law, it's telling you what God told someone else to do. And are we ones that are going to be capable and able in this Christian life if we're living by something that God told to someone else? Uh, I would imagine no. (laughs) Paul says in chapter 7 of Romans that you're probably going to fall flat on your face and it's not going to look pretty. But as we're living out these lives, God has given us provision. Not only as he said, here you have this thing, you have the salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that saved you, but also empowers you in how you live in the here and now. And as we think about Romans chapter six in that amazing statement of what's said concerning how we live and overcome in this, this present tense and the power that can be given to us because we have been associated with the work that Christ accomplished. We have the ability now to live in this present life. And so there should be no one that doesn't understand from this church, because I know it's been taught from the pulpit Many times in many different ways by people up here. But this opportunity that you have to not only reflectively think of who you are in Christ, but what that is and what it looks like, right? It looks like you overcoming any situation in your present because you're living out the power that Christ provides in these bodies. And so uh, we could go on and on about that forever, but we do have our topic that we started on several weeks ago. I hate the fact that we've had this long break in between. <laughs> Seems like it's been a month since we were speaking on it. But we titled this series The Product of Inner Conceptions. And so remember, it started way back in the uh, conference where we had this word for dialegizamai. It had the idea of the, what's going on inside of your mind, these imaginations and conceptions that you can come up with in your mind. And what did we end up at? That the things that we've been given in Christ, you don't have to conceptualize or imagine. He did it for you. He provided these things very clearly for how we're to live out this life and what we're to be reflectively thinking on in our minds. What does it say over in Colossians 3? Set your mind on things above. Or a better way of doing it, these thoughts that are going around in your mind should be on who you are in Christ, where you are seated at the right hand of God. And how do you get there? How did you get there? You got there through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And you get there in your mind when your mind goes somewhere else by accounting the fact that these things that Christ accomplished on my behalf are pertinent to me right now. And I can now, because of the work that he's accomplished, count myself even though I don't see it, even though I'm here in these bodies, I can count what God is counting in his mind. And God is saying that you are seated at his right hand in Christ Jesus. And so God's counting and God's reckoning of what's true becomes way more important than what we're seeing or what we're doing on this earth. That's that spiritual, uh, physical juxtaposition. And so as we think about it, we have uh, two words, and uh, I'm going to give Brother Dan his credit, uh, being used by the Holy Spirit to bring something to my attention. This <laughs> same word, dia now we have this word legittimai. And what's the other part of that? Chop that dia off, and you have our word that's translated many times in Scripture, reckoning or counting. This transaction that's taking place where you're not seeing something is a reality, but we just talked about it. It is a reality in the mind of God. So we can count it to be true in our minds as well. As you go through chapter four of uh, Romans, this word is littered throughout that chapter. You see it many, many times. And in that context, it's talking about God counting actions that Abraham had did. Him placing faith in what God had said to be what? Righteousness. He believed God and God counted that to him for righteousness. Wasn't anything that he necessarily did himself. And if, apart from God saying that that thing was righteous, it's neither here nor there. And that's the same is true for you and I. Actions that we think or, or take and think are, are good and righteous Not necessarily righteous unless God says this is true and righteous. And so we can pump ourselves up. We can go and do this or that for this individual and say, boy, look what I did. (laughs) Wasn't that a good thing that I did over there? And if you weren't led by the Holy Spirit to do it, guess what God says? It stinks. (laughs) It's his filthy rags, scripture says. Your righteousness is nothing to God. But God's righteousness is everything to us. And so as we start thinking about this word for Legitimai, it brought us to this particular occurrence in Second Corinthians, chapter 10 and verse one. And let's go back there really quickly. And I have to remind or refresh as to where this word was. We read through it earlier, but I didn't call attention to it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, or 10, excuse me, in verse 1. He says, now I beseech, or I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now remember the problem back, what's going on here. There are people that crept in with these Corinthian saints after that Paul had already impacted them and is giving them a message that's counter to the message that Paul gave them. And not only is giving them a message that's counter, they're saying, who is this guy? <laughs> he's, he's making himself to be something. And Paul has to remind them, I didn't make myself to be anything. As you remember back when I taught you, you were the proof of who I am. You, you were my epistle. I don't need any letters from anybody else validating who I am because I taught you. And as you remember back to the things that I taught you, you will understand that the things that I taught you were true. And so he has to go through this struggle with these individuals, and he's, he's dealing with it again here in chapter 10. In verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of the Christ. And so as we look back uh, uh, into verse 4, we see the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down uh, of strongholds. And I'm looking for my word here. I've lost it. Give me one second. For a word. You got your verb in verse two and down in verse four. I'm looking in verse four and I can not seem to noun, right? to place it yeah the noun is what I'm looking for oh it's in verse five casting I'm looking in the wrong verse uh, casting down imaginations and so that word for imaginations interesting translation when it's uh, we see that same word translated uh, uh, reckonings in other places, and so you see how those the Greek becomes somewhat important. <laughs> Dialogismai is translated imaginations in other places, but this is logosmas. This is a word for counting. If you went over to Romans chapter four again, you would see this word no uh, less than five times in that context, and translated reckoning. Uh, counting, or, or all of these different ways that it's translated, so that the the language is important. I try not to preach language at you guys uh, all the time, but sometimes it does become important uh, as you as you think about these things. And so that word, uh, imaginations, uh, casting down imaginations, is really counting, casting down countings or reckonings, or anything that exalts itself against God. Now, remember back to our um, notes here. And point two, we wanted to look at, or excuse me, point one, point two, the struggle of keeping outward and inward appearance. And as we went through the context, we understood that Paul is being said that he's, what's important to him is how he appears in the flesh. And he's speaking against that. He's understanding that he has a a spiritual battle that's going on here with what's going on physically. And remember, we talked about the fact that you can often look at situations that occur and you have two choices. You can say, this thing that's happening to me is happening to me because of that person. If that person weren't here, this thing would not be happening to me. Do we do that ever? (laughs) Do we ever say, I'm not going (laughs) to pick on anybody, but do we ever say to our spouse, for instance, in a situation or even in our minds, this person doing this to me. It's him. <laughs> and if it weren't for him, this would not be happening. Do we ever do that? Do we ever get on the job and say, it's this person. They're causing my work performance to decline. Or do we always see things for what they really are? Where Satan is able to place thoughts in the heads of individuals and then these thoughts, they get us going. They get us off from where we're supposed to be. Well, what is the job of someone uh, in football when you're attacking? Are you supposed to just let the quarterback, and I know you guys don't all watch football. I do spend a lot of yesterday watching it. But as you're as you're looking at the game of football, it's pretty simple. When you got a quarterback back there, are you supposed to just let that quarterback stand back there? Looking around the field till he finds his open guy and just throw it to him? If you're the defense, huh? Oh well, that's that's Tom Brady when he doesn't have a good defense coming up. But are are if you're a defense, you're supposed to be attacking that quarterback. You're supposed to be making him uncomfortable. You're not supposed to just let him stand back there and find the guys that he needs to find until he scores a touchdown. That's how you lose a game, right? And this is how Satan is. Do you think he's just going to let you sit back there in the pocket, scan the field? Oh, there's my guy. Let me throw him the ball. No, he's going to attack you. And we see that's true from Scripture. And so what we see is we see the individual person that's coming at us. We don't see that scheme that was devised to get to us, right? We didn't see the hours of preparation that that defensive coordinator put in watching all of our offensive tendencies to know exactly what we're going to do in any given situation. And we don't see that with Satan, do we? We often just sit back and say, man, it's that person. That's who it is. We don't think about the fact that Satan has set back over the course of your whole life and watch how you react to every last situation and understands perfectly what's going to throw you off in every situation. As I'm thinking about it, I'm saying it because I know it's true of myself. I get duped over and over again many times by the same ridiculous attack. And then when it's over, I say, that was Satan. <laughs> I let him get me again. He sacked me. <laughs> he sent the blitz, and I didn't see it coming. He sent it from the same place he sent it the last four times. What, what am I, an idiot? <laughs> Open my eyes. <clears throat> and this is what we have to do. You can't get any better at football as a quarterback unless you recognize what the defense is doing. And you can't get any better as a Christian in overcoming the enemy until you recognize what it is that he's doing. And so this situation that happens to you every single time, and you react this way every single time, maybe it's time to sit down and evaluate what you're doing. I've had to do it many times because the same attack comes at me. And I react the same way every time. And why is Satan going to change up any attack when it's working? And so Paul recognized it. He saw it's not these people. This is a spiritual problem. This is spiritual warfare. And he calls it out early. And so we see uh, the next point, the struggle of the flesh versus the spirit. And the, the physical existence in the flesh as opposed to the spiritual existence that we live. And I'm going to have to start jumping through some of these. You guys have the notes there. You can go back uh, when you need to and look at them. Uh, then point three, we see the struggle of the implements of warfare. And this is where, kind of where I left off, and I want to uh, start here. But as you get down to uh, verse, four, uh, verse four, we see the implements of these, this warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see, this word for strongholds has the idea of of something. uh, And really, you could look at it this way. I have the notes there uh, or the uh, definition in my notes to remove something from an elevated place. An elevated place. And I likened it last time that we talked on this to Saddam Hussein. And remember in Iraq when the soldiers went into Iraq and they took over the city and the people were allowed to come in and kind of do what they wanted to. And Saddam had all of these statues to himself all around the city, right? And what did those people do? (laughs) They took ropes and threw them around the top of those things and started pulling them down. And they were toppled. These things that were elevated to look like this man is more than a man. And that's what people do in these situations where they have all the power. They want you to think that they are more than men. They're something like a God. (laughs) They might not have the powers of the God, but they want you to think that they have the power of a God, right? And these strong and high places were toppled. What high places are occupying space in our life? What are we giving more credit to than what it deserves? Because it needs to come down, right? These places that Satan has made things to look like something more than what they are. When we're fighting this spiritual battle rather than physical, and we're recognizing things for what they are, what can we do through the power of God? We can pull these things down, right? Ephesians chapter six, and we're going to get to it, tells us that you have war implements that you are able to fight by. You have spiritual armor that is ready and there for you to put on for any given situation. Now, I will say that most of those are defense mechanisms. Because before you even get to satanic attack, and what I've noticed in my own life, is by the time you're attacked, it's, it's almost too late. If you haven't got that armor on and ready to fight this situation before it happens, you're not going to win. <laughs> he's, he's too good. He's too effective. It's better that you recognize what's coming at you and put on the proper armor so that you can withstand this attack that's going on. Then you can fight back, right? Uh, and most importantly, what a lot of people miss from that chapter, they go on and say, huh, this is a Satanic attack, I'm going to put on the armor. So they go in, they put on whatever piece of armor and Satan knocks the mess out of them. And they say, well, what happened? I had my armor on. What does it say early in that chapter before it tells you to put on the armor? It says, "Be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might." Let's go over there really quickly because I want to want look at that. Ephesians chapter six. <coughs> now, he goes to talking early in these chap this chapter of these different relationships. You see, children. You see uh servants, you see, um, uh, 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 well, children and servants are the main two. And this is coming off of chapter five where you have this marital relationship. And so you have many instances where you have a, a, a relationship with someone. Uh, a, a parent to a child is a very interesting and unique relationship. And as you have ones that are believers, it becomes even more unique, right? And it's even trickier how you relate to one another. Hopefully, if you're living in who you are in Christ, there shouldn't be an issue. But there is the opportunity that parents and children are not going to interact correctly. There is the opportunity that masters and servants aren't going to interact correctly. And so you have these spiritual battles that start to come into play here, where Satan is think about a kid, teenager boy, my parent is really getting on my nerves. They told me to do this thing, and I just don't want to do it. And the temptation becomes to, huh, maybe I can say I did this, and I really didn't do it. Where's that temptation coming from for you guys to take the test? uh, It's coming from Satan. He's tempting this kid to lie to his parent. And if that kid has waited until it gets to the point, well, maybe I'm going to lie. It's too late. (laughs) You're probably already going to do it. And you're just looking for the opportunity to carry this thing out. You have these opportunities. So as you come to verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong. Where? In the Lord and in the power of his might. And if you really look at it. That word for strong there is not our word for strong. It's more the word of being empowered. A word from dunamis It's being given a supernatural ability to overcome something. You're not going to get that by just going and putting on different words. Well, let me scan down here. It says uh, uh, in verse 13, wherefore, take on the whole armor of God. Uh, I'm going to stand here with my loins girded about with truth. No. You're going to fall flat on your face. It first says in verse 10 to be empowered, brethren. And where are you to be empowered? But in your position and who you are, it says be empowered in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Or really here you can say by the ability that or his stored up strength that he has. He has an inexhaustible strength. Uh, to help you through any situation. And in in verse 11, then it says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the methods of the devil or these various attacks that he brings to you. Uh, I was watching this game yesterday, and they were talking about these exotic blitzes that these teams (laughs) are sending, which just means they're sending them from different places. They, They have different ways that they send blitzes. And as you think of Satan and you think of your life and you think of how you operate, how it is that you move, Satan has ways. He's looked at you and scanned your life and he has something unique to you that works for you. Might not necessarily work for me. His attack and his way that he comes at me is different than the way that he comes at you. And he's had years to sit back and perfect this. So it's not going to be easy for you from your own power to withstand those wiles or those methodologies. You're going to have to rely on something a little bit bigger and better than what you've got. And why do people keep getting overcome by Satan? Why does he keep having the mastery over them? Because they don't recognize. They don't see it. They see a person, they see a situation. They don't see the real enemy behind what's going on here. You have to have your head in the game in order to overcome it. And so as we go back over to um, over to second uh, um, Corinthians chapter ten, sorry about that. and we start thinking about this word for pulling down, we see that the Israelites uh toppled or destroyed the land of Canaan being previously possessed by the Nephilim over in Acts, and we're not going to go there, but Acts chapter 13 and verse 19, and just visualize it. this land of Canaan that they were going into. What does Satan also tempt people to do? I see it running rampant in our world today. He tempts you to be what? Strong? (laughs) He tempts you to say, everything's okay. God's got me. It's going to be fine. No. He tempts you to be fearful. He tempts you to say, boy, that that lion that's a long off, way off there, that's a lion. And you know what? That lion could eat me up. <laughs> now, mind you, this lion's way down the street, but you're looking at that lion and you understand the capabilities of that lion. And you say, boy, he could devour me. If only he got across that street... Jumped over that fence and came down the road, he's really gonna munch my bones and I'm not gonna make it out. You see how ridiculous that sounds? You got plenty of time to run away or do whatever it is you need to do, but you're looking down the road and saying, or, or looking at all the possibilities of what could happen. And that's where we are with people. Oh, this could go wrong. This, this could happen. This thing could happen. And it might not ever even come to pass. But people in their minds have already, what have they done? Their imagination has told them, this is what could happen. And they have no ability to think any way else except negative, 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 negative. It's an amazing thing that Satan does, an amazing trick. But as you look into, I got way off there from the Nephilim, but as a Children of Israel were going into Canaan. What did they say? The spies that went in, they said, there are Nephilim in this place. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, how many of them said that because God said that this can happen and we can do it. Most of them said, no, there's no way. <laughs> this is not going to happen. I think there are only two. Then two that came back with a report that said we can take this land. And you know why they said that? Because they'd seen the God of Israel deliver them out. They'd heard the stories. They'd seen the things that he could do. And they didn't care what what was standing in front of them. Because they knew God could what? Tackle it. He could bring it down. The God that delivered them out of Egypt could deliver these Canaanites into their hands. As you go over to Acts chapter 13 and verse 29, we see the Lord was taken down from a tree in this manner. And so you see it used that way as well. Uh, and then in uh, Acts 19, 27, we see that, remember this situation. It was an interesting one where uh, the uh, Ephesians were thinking that Paul was trying to topple their great goddess Diana. And so what did Demetrius the silversmith say? say he's trying to put... At not our great goddess Diana, in her greatness, he was trying to topple in their mind, uh, according to them, um, Diana. Now, what are the targets of this this toppling? Uh, as we go back to Second Corinthians chapter ten, it's the imaginations or the things that we count to be true, and so the confirmed assumption of a fact in the mind of an individual that is produced by inward mental conceptions. And so you've been playing these things through in your mind. And so now you're counting them to be true. You've been playing through or Satan has placed this thought to be fearful in a situation into your mind. You've gone through all the scenarios about how this could play out. And now in your mind, this thing is true. This is a reality. This thing is going to happen. Never mind the fact that it might not ever come to pass, right? I watched this movie with Will Smith and his son many years ago, and he talked about just that thing with fear. And the fact that we drum these things up in our mind, and they probably never will come to pass. But in our mind, they're true, and they're, they're a, a near certainty, right? You see, people... Just running around, and I'm not going to call attention to certain things, but you guys know what I'm talking about. People are running around in fear right now. Absolute fear. There are people don't don't even want to leave their homes. There are people that don't even want to walk down the street. There are people that are willing to do anything because of fear. Now, I'm reminded for a Christian that there's a little verse that said God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I don't think he didn't know that this situation was going to happen. This is one that just slipped by his notice. He was (laughs) when he put everything together. He he never knew that this was going to come to pass. Right. Because God, of course, He's not an all-knowing God, right? (laughs) He he couldn't possibly know everything. Sarcasm, of course. (laughs) God knows my heart. God knows everything. And he still said that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if anything is contrary to that, where is it coming from? Is it coming from God? I would submit to you it's coming from the same place where all fear comes from, the enemy. And it's an attack that we need to be ready for. Okay, he got you this time. All right, that's fine. God's grace and mercy is greater than our shortcomings. So here's another opportunity for you to put your your full focus into who God is and what God can do. And let him power you through. And so as we look at these imaginations, in the context of things the Corinthian saints were counting as true, uh, or as truth uh, on the basis of their mental conceptions, uh, were given to them by these false apostles. And so what what did Satan do? He used these false apostles to come in and tell them something different than what Paul had told them. And now Paul is looking at this, wise eye, eyes wide open, and he sees who the true culprit is. It's not these guys. Who, who are they? They're just people. This is, a, this is a problem from Satan. This is an attack from Satan. And he recognizes it and sees it for what it is. The believer's spiritual weaponry has the ability to fight against things the believer is counted to be true through the flesh. Just because you've counted something to be true in your mind doesn't mean that it's true. And it doesn't mean that that thing has to continue, like I said, to catch you off guard. It means that you need to get your mind engaged in the game and understand where this attack is coming from so you can overcome it. It also talks about high things over in uh, Second Corinthians chapter 10 as we look at these uh uh, casting down imaginations and high things uh, that exalt themselves against God. Go with me over to Romans chapter 39 just to get a little bit of a better picture of this word. Romans chapter 8, there is no chapter 39. <laughs> I caught myself that time. <laughs> I was adding 23 uh, books to, <laughs> to Romans. <laughs> <laughs> go, go for a big number right? Um, pick it up in verse 35 He said Who shall separate us from the love of Christ Shall tribulation or distress Or persecution or famine Or nakedness or peril or sword As it is written for thy sakes We are killed all the day long We are counted as sheep for the slaughter Nay in all things We are more than conquerors Through him that loved us for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor uh, things present, nor things to come, nor height, there's our word there, uh, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so as you think about these high things, I start to think about spiritual things, right? Things that Satan has caused to be elevated or maybe even spirit beings that Satan has caused to be elevated. We know that he set these different ones up in different places and he has his seat that's above all things. Brother Don talked about it this morning, this throne that he has that he can give to this beast anytime that, uh, well, not anytime he desires, but when he's allowed to do it. And so, Uh, As you think of these high things, they're not anything good. They're things that are elevated against the true knowledge of God, as we see in Scripture. And so the things that occupy a place of importance in the mind of an individual, uh, being exalted against the knowledge of God. Now, This word for exalted uh, comes from our word that literally means to raise up or elevate something. Uh, we see that over in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty and 1 uh, Timothy 2, 8, but we won't go there. We're running out of time. Uh, against the knowledge of God, uh, we see this experiential knowledge concerning God. And there's many different times that that uh, phrase is used in Scripture. I've given you them there. But this knowledge is a familiarity of something through the learning of facts and the operational integration in real situations over time, uh, what we call experiential knowledge. You've not only known the facts about something, you've actually utilized those facts. Think about anybody that's done something over time. And I'm trying to uh, pick on somebody but not pick on somebody. I'm trying to think of what you guys all do and how well you do it. Uh, our brother Dan is a wordsmith back there, right? Somewhat of a wordsmith. I'm going to pick on you because you're always picking on other people. <laughs> I'm giving you payback here. Our brother Dan... Uh, has obviously studied through the dictionary, right? And looked at some of these words. Now, there are people that do the same and they go around using words and using them in improper contexts because what? They have not learned to utilize those words within the right context. I can say Brother Dan has never done that from my, from my knowledge. So I've not caught him. Some of the words he's, he says, and I've never heard these words before, and I had to go back and look them up in the dictionary. So you're doing a good job of helping me grow my knowledge. But as you think about it, he's not only learned these words and their meaning, he's learned how to use them within their proper context. And so he has an experiential knowledge concerning these words that he's using. And that's what experiential knowledge is. It's not just knowing something or knowing how to do something. I, I can know how or the theory behind how to, to fly a plane. I'm not getting behind the will of a plane to try to go across the country just because I have read a book that tells me how to fly a plane. It's not a good idea, is it? <laughs> you have a a... a period of practice and getting behind the wheel with someone else that knows how to do it then they give you the opportunity to do it yourself then you feel a little bit comfortable and you say you know what i've flown enough hours where i can do this on my own and you have a working understanding of how to do something that's how that word works and so a knowledge of god you have a, a working knowledge concerning who god is and what god does And this is what these things are designed to work against, these these implements of the enemy. He's trying to get you out of what you know to be true from God or concerning God and your relationship together with him to accept something else. Doesn't that sound like something as old as scripture itself? What did the serpent say to uh, Eve? Has this God guy, this guy really said you're, you're really going to die? Really? Uh, I think he's trying to hold something back from you. <laughs> you got this relationship with him, and yeah, that's nice, but you know what? He's trying to hold something back that is better for you. It's his oldest time. <laughs> this is not anything new. What better can you get than a relationship together with God. You can't get any better than that. He created all things. There's nothing better. But he's trying to convince you that there's something better than the knowledge that God's allowed you to have. Um, We need to be recognizing that and fighting against it. The mental conclusion capture. And so as we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we think of these mental conclusions, these legis, this uh, legismas, these uh, conclusions that your mind can come to. What does he say? He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that it exalts itself against the full or the experiential knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to, the, to obedience to the Christ. And so this idea of capturing, is, is, is our word here, it's, uh, has an idea of uh, you're looking uh, for, let's say, our hunters or something like that. They're trying to uh, catch something without shooting it. <laughs> and so you set up this net that, that captures in this animal that you're trying to get you brought that animal into your captivity, right? That animal that you were looking for is no longer wandering around wild. You have him within your own possession because you captured him. And this is uh, what we need to do with these these, uh, conclusions that are against. It says, "Thought" there in verse uh, uh, five, the thoughts that are uh, into an obedience to the Christ. But this is our word for... uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong word here. This is noema. And so our word for noema has the idea of the results of your thinking and the things that go through your mind. If, as I'm making these different uh, scenarios in my mind and they're playing out, this is the last thing over here. These are is really a summary of all that's happened within your mind and the conclusions of that brain activity. Uh, and so we could see these word this word for conclusions uh, in several different places over in 2 uh, Corinthians 3:14. Let's go to that one or excuse me second Corinthians 44. 4. let's go there really quick since we're already in second Corinthians. Just to give a little bit of a better flavor of what this word is. And remember back to the last chapter. Uh, every time i come through here i have to do this but uh remember in chapter three it says that we're able to manifest uh who we are in christ from one glory or manifestation of glory to the next and then in verse one it says therefore seeing we have this ministry is we have received mercy we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness It sounds a lot like Satan here as you read through here. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds. You see there your conclusions, the conclusions that you can come through, through all of the mental process that happens within your head. He blinds that. Right before you are ready to make your decision, that little piece right there, you put together all of the information. You think you've got it. And guess what happens? (laughs) He blinds that last part. I've heard Pastor Dave talk about it like this. And I'm not giving the gospel to a lot of people directly where I've seen them have a reaction to it. But he said he had this guy sitting across the table from him and he was talking about, you know, here's the facts of how you're saved. You believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and he's tracking along. Yeah, that's, that's reasonable. He was buried. No, oh, That sounds pretty reasonable, too. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much a historical fact. And that he rose again from the dead. Whoop! <laughs> he, he glazed over. <laughs> it was like he's, in Pastor Day's word, he's, he looked like he'd gone comatose. Just sitting right there at the table across from him. And what happened in that instance? He was tracking along with the gospel until you start talking about the resurrection. And that's many people. Resurrection from the dead? You, you lost me with that one, <laughs> right? And that's how many people are going to do. And Satan, whoop, drops that in right there at the conclusion, and you don't get it. Uh, but we know if it's up to uh, someone that should be saved, God's is going to remove that blinder. Uh, we also see that the Corinthian saints' conclusions were corrupted through satanic attack, from the uh, simplicity that's in Christ. And if you went over to 2 uh, Corinthians eleven three, 3, uh, we could see that one. Um, and then uh, what is, is uh, being captured here is our minds or the conclusions of our minds to the obedience to the Christ. Now, as you look at this, the, the Christ is a body of believers. It constitutes this body of believers that you and I all belong to, with Christ at the head. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. I took way too long on my introduction. I always do that. And I have to rush at the end. Okay, in in verse twelve, or excuse me, eleven. It says, "But all these things work at the one and self same Spirit." And remember, back in the context, he's talking about these spiritual gifts and how they're functioning together, dividing to every man severally or, or separately as he will or, or as he desires. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is not just Christ there. That's what you'll see in your text. But if you have a Greek interlinear, if you can look over to the side, it says the Christ. This is not just Christ. We're talking about the Messiah, the person that was supposed to come, the glorified and resurrected one. This is the body of believers with Christ at the head that you and I belong to. And so we see that the Christ used in that way. The Christ was the impetus for the tone of Paul's exhortation as he goes back. If we as we go back over to Second Corinthians chapter ten and verse one, you see, he uses that in the first verse. And so, what you can look at in the Greek with these articles, sometimes it can just be a previous reference to something. Sometimes he can be trying to particularize something and draw your attention to it. This is different from other things, and I think. Uh, that's more of what's being used here. But you could also say in this context is previous reference because he used it in the first verse as well. But in, in verse one, it says, now, I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And there's an article that you're missing if you're not looking in your Greek and a linear. The Christ who is in, uh, in presence and base among you, but in absence and bold towards you. Uh, we also see that the gospel pertaining to the Christ shows an element uh, of how to live out this present tense salvation in connection to the head. Uh, go with me over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 13, since we're close here. And pick, pick it up in uh, verse 12, he says, "For the administration of this servant's service not only supplyth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the uh, experiment uh, of this ministration they glorify God for, they, uh, for your professed subjection unto the gospel belonging to who? The Christ. And for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And so you can uh, cross-reference uh, Colossians 219 and look at how the head uh, interacts with the body there but the obedience to the christ uh, allows the believer to function in harmony with our design as you think about your body how does your body function there are signals that come down Brother, the time. <laughs> make me laugh there I was thinking you were thinking of uh, <laughs> it functions in all kinds of different ways <laughs> But as you think of your brain, your brain is sending signals to all of your body parts, right? Through the blood that's being carried from your brain to that body part to tell this body part to do such and such. My fingers are moving because my brain is saying fingers move. You lose that functionality is a sad, sad thing, but that's how your body was designed to work. And guess what? That's how the body of Christ is designed to work. We get our signals from the head, who is Christ, and it flows down by the Holy Spirit to each one of us, and we're able to function in the manner that we're supposed to as a part of this body. Right? In verse six, we see the readiness uh, as we read on back to Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten. He says, casting down imaginations, verse five, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience pertaining to the Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. He goes on to talk about does the outward appearance matter or what's going on inside of the believer matter? um in verse 6 we see the exacting of righteousness on the disobedience uh on disobedience with others Th- this is a difficult task we have of bringing this body and this mind into subjection with where it should be it is difficult and in, it's very simple <laughs> it's hard for us to do why because we get in the way all the time we start thinking how we see and feel in situations rather than how God wants us to perform. And it's very simple. Attack coming. See it coming. Okay, let's put on the armor and be ready for this attack. Let's not get knocked down for the 20th time by the same attack that he brings from the same place. Now, again, I watch a lot of football, and I would imagine that if a defensive coordinator were sitting there dropping that linebacker off and bringing him on a blitz every single time, they might get him the first time. You might even get him the second time. Maybe the running back didn't turn around and pick up the block. But after a few times when the offensive coordinator has seen that happening, the coach is going to say, you know what, they keep sending that blitz off of that side. I think I'm going to slide the protection over this way so they can't do that anymore. And what are we doing in our Christian lives? Are we recognizing the attacks and where they're coming from? If we're not, are we even recognizing the facts that, that this is happening? That it's, it's not the physical situation that's standing in front of us. That it's, it's Satan that's working behind the scenes. Because that's where it starts. And once you recognize that, you can say, you know what? It's funny When I do this, he always does that. (laughs) He always sends somebody. It might not be the same person every time, but they're always doing the same thing, and I'm always giving the same reaction to what they're doing. Maybe it's time. The next time that happens, I stop. And I get my mind right with where I am in Christ, and I put on the proper armor to handle that situation so that Satan is not blindsiding me every time. If you're in a game and you're getting hit every single time as a quarterback, your quarterback's going to get hurt. right? He's not going to make it through the game. As Christians, if we're getting hit by the same attack every single time, we're not going to make it through the game. We're not going to be living out the purpose for what God desired for us to do in this life. And if we're not going to live out the purpose for what God desired and designed for us to do in this life, why are we here? You, you understand that people seek their whole lives trying to figure out what the meaning of life is. And God has graciously given us a wonderful understanding of what the meaning of life is. Are we living it out or are we letting Satan and his situations blindside us to where we're not seeing our purpose and our function on this earth? Hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, And if we are and we have, here's the wake up call. Right. Recognize what he's doing. And this is as much of a challenge to me as it is to anybody else because I don't know what's going on in your life I know what's going on in mine. And I have times where I'm not recognizing things where they need to be. And what do I need to do to that? Now that I'm thinking about it in my mind, next time that happens, you know what? That's Satan. (laughs) And he's not going to get me this time. Right? That's found in the word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and we are grateful for the privilege and grace uh, that you've provided to us your, through um, your wonderful love for us. We're grateful uh, that we have the opportunity uh, to live out these things that are true from your word and no, we won't get it right every single time. We are not yeah. perfect. <clears throat> But we are so grateful that we have an opportunity, even in our failures, to live in light of your perfection and to step back into who we are in Christ. And though we might not be perfect, we are living in and indwelt by the one that is. And so we pray that these things might be evident to us in a time where Satan is trying to use every means possible to direct us away from true knowledge concerning God. We pray that uh, as we walk out into the rest of our weeks that uh, we might be focused and dead center on uh, living out your will for our lives, that you might get the glory you deserve. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.